Hello and welcome to Future Thinking with Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus. And with me today, I have Molly Flatt, author, journalist and associate editor of Future Book, uh, which we shall discuss in a second. And Julia Ahrens, editor of Media and Marketing at Stylus. And today we're going to be discussing the future of media and publishing. What future, you may ask, as everything seems pretty apocalyptic at the moment with huge job losses at the likes of BuzzFeed, Vice and the Huffington Post. And no one seemingly able to come up with a business model for publishing that really works. Um, Molly, this is a key issue, I think, that you tackle at FutureBook. Um, so tell us, first of all, what FutureBook is all about. Sure. Um, so FutureBook is the innovations arm of the bookseller, basically, which is the UK's kind of oldest um, book trade publication. So it's for publishers, booksellers, agents, authors, um, everyone across the, the book industry spectrum. Um, and FutureBook is kind of a microsite off the main bookseller site where we cover uh, content every week about uh, the future of books, really. Um, and that culminates in uh, Europe's biggest digital publishing conference uh, at the end of the year. So that's just a big conference where we try and bring together um, real publishing insiders. So everyone from the CEO of kind of the big publishing houses through to outsider voices. So entrepreneurs starting up, um, publishing related startups, um, you know, people from other industries who have innovative lessons to bring to the book industry. Um, so yeah, it's a real privilege to work on something that kind of brings together my two f- passions, which is books and, and the future, really. So so the most recent future book was in November last year, I believe. Yeah. Um, what were the key insights for you that came out of the event? Um, it's really interesting, actually, because this year we dropped the digital tag of future book. So for many years, um, it it was kind of easier to explain what it was really back in the day. You know, it was founded eight years ago and it was the digital publishing conference. Um, And that was during the first wave of kind of digital disruption um, when everyone was very excited, very scared, experimenting uh, widely. Um, You know, there was lots of conversation about what the ebook was just the beginning we were going to get these magical, interactive, uh, new types of book. Um, And publishers had kind of newly formed digital departments who had, you know, R&D budgets and were doing exciting things. Of course, I think with as with other industries, what's happened is that digital has become a pointless label, really, because it's just part of the way we live, breathe and do business. Um, And also there's been a bit of a... uh, bit of a valley of disillusionment, really, where all so many of those experiments from the Facebook apps to um, the, uh, the standalone microsites to the bells and whistles campaigns to those experimental interactive books, um, you know, loads of them failed. They, they weren't sustainable. They were something that looked great in the papers, was a great PR hook, but actually that no readers really wanted in any way. Um, And so we're in a really, really interesting place um, at the moment. And I think that was reflected in the conference where 
I really opened the conference about asking, how do we make people care about books? Because I think however, whatever tools you're using to do that, be they digital, be they analogue, um, be they disruptive, be they very traditional, um, that's the real question for books and for a lot of industries in, in a very competitive market where you're just scrabbling for attention. People are on their on their phones, they're scrolling on social media as much as they're also, you know, listening to Spotify, watching Netflix. So, you know, it's about... And the interesting thing is that books have often seen themselves as a a kind of elevated category, a kind of cultural niche as uh, unto themselves. Um, and, you know, the book industry has weathered the first digital storm incredibly well. You know, print sales have rallied. Um, you know, a lot of the uh, big publishers have reported um, really robust kind of sales this year and profits. Um, but actually, this is not the time for complacency. I think, you know, the, the traditional audiences are dying away. And that question is really, how do you make people feel like books are still central to culture, still central to their entertainment mix, still central to the conversations they have with their friends? Um, in, and, in, you know, in many generations, that's just not the case. So how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's the question, I guess. How do you keep uh, how do you keep books relevant? I think it's about a really strategic mixture of innovation and knowing what you're good at. I think there's a danger um, across all industries, really, to chase entrepreneurial and startup principles for the sake of it. Um, so fast is not always better and is not always possible in some industries. And I think, you know, I've written quite a lot in the past about different models of entrepreneurship and sometimes that means female models of entrepreneurship, although you can get into all kinds of muddy waters talking about uh, gender divides. But I think, you know, one of the issues about producing a book, especially if you're talking, say, a kind of long-form piece of fiction, is it takes a long time. There's a lot of human element in there that can't be automated. So, you know, authors can be uh, tricky individuals to work with. Here I am thinking, I hope my editor's not listening to this and nodding. Um, but, you know, th th there's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of ambiguity. Um, it's a long process often for an author and an editor to go back and forth and mould a book into what it needs to be. And there's a lot of human curation involved in the book trade. People using their often slightly in indefinable human instinct to decide whether they think a book is amazing or not, even if it's something that's not like anything that's come before. You know, that's very impossible to define in an algorithm. Um, and so I think, and you know, books could take slow burn, it can take lighting lots of small fires amongst niche audiences and things growing slowly. So I think it's very important in the book industry not to let go of their USP, you know, what they do incredibly well, which is actually be gatekeepers. And, you know, that that's what a lot of self-publishing railed against was the strength of the gatekeepers in the book trade. And absolutely, there's plenty of appalling prejudice and assumptions and, 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 and barriers that need to be knocked down. But actually, gatekeeping and quality control and producing long-form works of thought that are ambiguous and surprising and exploratory rather than ideological sound bites, which is what we get a lot now in social media and journalism. It is a long and complex process and that can't always be turned into a lean, mean startup model. 
at the same time, it's really, really important to keep finding um, low-risk ways to experiment and iterate and throw ideas out there and try new models. So I think it's about how do you get that mix for the book trade of absolutely trying new things, but at the same time not letting go. If you already have something that is massively suited to the digital age, because more than ever, it fulfills a need that we have to step back from the crazy pace of... Um, of kind of digital media and take time and allow our thoughts to be strange and unexpected and grey and ambiguous and to not know what we think about things and to, to, to develop empathy and all of these kind of things and to take a break from the noise um, and sometimes to take a break from choosing the ending, you know, to, to, to dive into a world where we are not in control, I think, can be incredibly powerful. So I think, you know, in some ways books are a really tailor-made panacea to our times. So for the book industry, how do you hold on to what you already have whilst absolutely moving a bit damn faster, to be honest? A little bit, you know? It's, it's a very careful back and forth and a careful balance to strike. I'd love to jump in on that idea of iteration because Wattpad, the online writing community, which, yes, builds itself chiefly on original writing but obviously uses all the mechanics of fan fiction and fan community and crowd curation, they've just um, launched a new project called Wattpad Books, which is literally it's applying Netflix algorithm ideas on trawling their content and then analysing what registers with readers and, you know, what little storytelling units are interesting to then turn that into like a broader publishing arm. And what's your idea on that in terms of tracking what the community wants and then doing the gatekeeping job and actually determining how you can create stories that will sell on a wide scale? Yeah, you know, that's really interesting. Actually, um, a piece went up on Future Book last week. I interviewed Ashley Gardner, who's the head of partnerships of Wattpad on exactly this uh, new venture, Wattpad Books. Um, you know, part of me loves this. This is the best example of self-publishing and publishing merging. You know, self-publishing becomes a space where people can um, crowdsource and crowd test their ideas, really just produce ship, as Seth Godin would say, get it out there. Um, and And then, yes, you then have a curatorial level that comes in and takes it and turns it into a more traditionally published product. Um, I think, you know, these algorithms are fascinating. I think they probably are a pretty good way, as any, to cut through what would be called in traditional publishing the slush pile the mass of content out there. Because the fact, you know, it's very hard. We've all got a story in us. But frankly, there aren't that many of those stories that are amazing that are able to transcend, you know, limits and go out there and, and, and appeal appeal to different people um, on in a way that's going to make money, quite frankly, because that's where that line also comes. Um, so I think Wattpad's amazing, but, but Ashley's also very honest about there is a level of human curation there. They use a team of editors. They've had to hire a kind of new team um, of editors to work with then with those kind of stories to, to shape them and build their full potential. So it's an example of how they come together. Um, another piece I wrote kind of interrogating this whole idea um, just last week for Future Book was about can we apply the concept of minimal viable product to the book? Um, 
you know, the MVP has become quite an obsession in the startup world, this idea that you basically create something that pretty much works and throw it out there. And then you iterate, depending on the user feedback you get back. So you're growing traction the whole time. You're making people involved, feel involved in the growth of the product and development of the product. And this is, it's this idea that it's very anti-perfectionism. You don't craft this, you know, amazing thing that you don't know anyone wants and then throw it out there. And I think, again, it goes back to exactly what I was saying before about books. There are some lessons we can learn there and some things that really work. Wattpad is doing that to a certain degree. Degree. Um, some writers do that as they go along in the writing process. Um, a great woman I know called Beck Evans um, from a writing productivity startup called Prolifico is writing a business book and she's all the way along done kind of early beta testing for her book. So she sent out to readers, you know, are you more interested in this or this for this chapter? What do you think the title should be? Um, so, you know, I suppose in some ways there's some MVP principles going on there. There's a um, a new startup called Publishizer, which basically is claiming to kind of bring that crowdfunding iterative element to the agenting process. So there are companies who are doing this. At the same time, you know, what people also want from books is that quality content. As I said before, you know, there's so much content. There's so many medium posts which are authentic and down to earth and and some of them quite scrappy. Um, you know, do we really want Neil Gaiman to send out a book where he's like, look, guys, I know this isn't great. It's not the best it could be. Um, but, you know, you give me some feedback and I feel, I don't, I want him to be my God. I want what he sends out to be, per you know, well, as perfect as possible. Um, and I think we sometimes underestimate that that's a big human drive as well. Absolutely, we want to be involved. Lots of us love getting behind the scenes and workshop type content from authors. We want to feel like we're involved. We want to see the, 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 the dirty stuff behind the scenes. At the same time, there's a very human need for idols and to feel that we can kind of keep some people on a pedestal and to just come to products fully formed. You know, essentially a published book is supposed to be a maximal viable product if that's something. So um, for me, it all depends on the audience and the topic and the book. I think it's much easier to do MVP with nonfiction. Um, but yes, it depends, you know, how, how niche is your audience, how community focused is your audience um, and the nature of the author. These are really personal things in terms of creating books. And there feels like a lot of pressure on authors to, you know, modify their writing styles to fit an audience to a certain degree. Yes, like suck it up. We live in the 21st century. I mean, there never really were ivory towers for authors. We've always had to be total hustlers and, and innovators and, you know, respond to your public. That sounds very grand. Um, but at the same time, you know, if if you need to write and shut yourself away and just do it and create a completed product, I think that's amazing. And there are a lot of people nowadays who crave that. We crave authority and beauty and completion in a world of collaboration and half-assed ideas being sent out there, really. So we're talking about books here, whether digitally or analogue, but we write on Stylus a lot about this idea that, and statistics research is saying that a lot of our future consumption will be screenless mm. because a lot of what we're going to be doing is interacting via voice and audio. Apparently, the rise of Alexa... Uh, seems unstoppable. So how do you think that this kind of screenless 
audio-based uh, future? Where, where, do, where does publishing, where do books, where do magazines, where does that fit in? Yeah, I mean, audio is huge. It's the biggest growth area. Um, in the book trade. And so Future Book, for example, the past, I think it was two years ago, we initiated a whole audio stream of content. So pretty much a third of the content we produce on the day of the conference is um, is all about audio. Um, and that's proved incredibly popular because the way people, exactly as you say, the way people consume is changing. Audio is a really powerful way to get direct to readers. It's it's a great entry point for people who haven't traditionally felt comfortable reading long form, be that in print or digitally. Um, you know, you've got all kinds of innovation around, um, you know, my dad wrote a porno. You get kind of uh, stories and books that begin as serialised podcasts. A, that's a podcast for anyone who hasn't realised. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Not a confession from yeah. Molly. No. Oh, gosh, that's a hideous thought. Um, yeah, so, you know, there, there, there's there's been books which were serialised as podcasts, even self-published serialised as podcasts and then picked up and turned into books. Um, there's plenty of innovation going on in voice search. There's been several books that have voice-activated um kind of features, not just like, you know, Alexa, read me the first chapter of, you know, there's there's a lot of that about, um, but stuff that's more integrated. Voice search is obviously a huge growth area in books. So, you know, what we're eventually going to see is, Alexa, what should I read next? And there's going to be a whole kind of complex algorithm behind that, or not so complex, um, kind of determining what you want to read. I think it's really, really interesting. I think, you know, the future is is really exciting for that. You're seeing new um, forms of production, companies like the Owlfield, which is based in Scotland, which are creating 3D binaural um, audiobooks. So this idea that not only is it more immersive because you get the sense that you're really in the book, but for writers it can totally change how you write something because you can write putting the reader in the shoes of one of the main characters. Um, so it almost becomes more like a blend of kind of drama and audiobook and gaming almost. So there's plenty of opportunities and an explosion there. I think it's absolutely going to change things. Um, it's already changing things in a big way, really. Interesting you mentioning that idea of uh, of a mix of gaming in this media mix because obviously in the past couple of months we've seen things like um, Bandersnatch on Netflix, mm. Mosaic from HBO, which was a a kind of app that went along with a TV show where you could uh, choose your own particular narrative. We're seeing a lot more interaction um, when it comes to uh, how people engage with media. Um, do you think that that's going to be a, a big phenomenon? Because my, my, my feeling is that people want to consume narratives as they always have done, and you know we're we're looking at this future of VR and AR and and uh, choose your own adventure type stories, and it'll be a sort of niche thing that some people want mm. to do, but most people want to sit down and read something or watch something from start to finish, as they've always done. How do you, what do you feel about this? Uh, I'm instinctively I'm kind of on your side with this, but again I don't know. You know I'm 36. I don't know if this is just because I'm old and I've now just passed that generational point where I'm a dinosaur, and I think that things that other people do that I don't are just, you know, ridiculous and unlikely. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to books, a game is a different thing to a book. So th there's been a lot of difficulty in the industry about defining what is our remit and what is not our remit. I mean, since 
games were invented, that there've been collaborations between books and games, you know, adaptations of books into games. And that's amazing. And there's a definitely a new generation of really interesting literary to game adaptations. There was one recently of Walden, which is like quite a, a non-gamey game where you kind of wander around and find bits of manuscript. But it's really interesting and immersive. There's one coming up um, of Animal Farm that looks really interesting. But, you know, essentially, that's nothing new. People have been making TV adaptations adaptations, gaming adaptations of books forever. Um, I mean, my feeling is that these choose-your-own-adventure things, it, it's felt futuristic for decades and decades and decades. The reality is it just is what it is. Like like Bandersnatch, the, the, the Black Mirror um, kind of uh, spin-off, it, it's felt pretty much as clunky as it did when I used to play those in my childhood. I was obsessed with those roll-the-dice Choose your own adventure games and those little paperbacks I used to like binge borrow from the library. You know, it's it's kind of a heady experience for a six, seven-year-old, you know, who you do kind of get tricked to thinking this book is like changing magically as you choose your different um dice rolls and your different pages. But it's we it's not autonomy. I mean, VR, I think, you know, VR and AR are going to do some amazing things and have some profound influences. But again, it's it's kind of a different thing. I mean, we're getting AR-enhanced books, which, which is great. Um, we're getting, uh, you know, again, VR spin-offs, VR rights being sold now for books. Um, but, but that's like a different specialism. It's a totally, di- for me, it's a totally different headspace. I used to um, game quite a lot when I was younger, mainly on PC. You know, first iteration of Lara Croft, I remember, you know, totally pixelated, running into walls and things. To me, that's a totally different headspace to what you generally think of as doing with a book. So again, I think it's it's quite hard for the industry to go, how much do we try and grab mindshare and feel relevant by saying we are part of these industries, and they are in some ways in partnerships and collaborations, but also saying, just as you're saying, for me, the ultimate release from this world where I'm chose where I'm expected to choose my own trainers down to the colour of the laces and the soles and everything else. I'm expected to, you know, pick my create my own salad from every granular option available on the planet. To go and have someone who has created a world in their head, who has created a story in their head, who's created their characters in their head. And take me through it and to give up controls and to feel that empathy of other people, not filter everything through my own experiences, my own choices, my own preferences. I think that's incredibly powerful. Just (coughs) briefly going back to interactive narratives and Mm. the idea of rewriting that, I think Mm. the path to market here is really interesting Mm. because through interactive gaming and independent gaming platforms, I think it's become much more accessible for many people to create a narrative and then in independent gaming, the most common, you know, easily used engine to build a thing is called Twine, and that's a text-based mm. gaming engine. And you get, I think, really interesting titles like Kentucky Route Zero that feel more like you're very carefully and casually going through a beautifully illustrated book, much more so than a game. So I think this interesting hybrid format that have come out of especially the independent gaming segment that really feel a lot more like you're being taken on an experience you just so happen to have brief moments where you get to pause and reconsider the decision you just made so i think that's an interesting background in that sense so you so you've um 
we've discussed all these different ways to, of reaching people through storytelling. Um, and you've just published your, your first novel. Yeah, totally like linear narrative. <laughs> Came out as a hardback. I mean, who buys hardbacks anymore? Well, that seems ridiculous, but that's a whole other controversial <laughs> book trade topic. Um, yeah. So you decided that this was the best format to tell this story that you wanted to tell? Exactly. You know, I did. I mean, to be fair, I think it would make an amazing game. Hint, hint, game developers. Um, but yes, I, you know what? I did feel not guilty, but a bit weird about the fact that I write so much about kind of the future of books and different forms of storytelling. And then I produce this like really, I mean, it's traditional in form. I suppose uh, what, what I think, um, while my book really reflects this digital analogue crossover and, and all the stuff we've been talking about is actually in its kind of subversion of genres, which I think is also something that's really happening more and more in the book trade. So my agent pub, uh, pitched it to my editor at Pam Macmillan as Bridget Jones meets The Matrix, which gives you kind of an impression of um, how uncategorizable it is. But I think, you know, nowadays we're getting a lot more of these books which have this hybrid crossover. You know, my book hasn't really been hasn't been marketed as fantasy because it's nothing like George R. R. Martin. It's set in contemporary times. It's set in the London startup scene um, and half in the wilds of Orkney. But, um, you know, a, a kind of female entrepreneur who suddenly finds that all her dreams come true and she's incredibly successful, but there's a kind of sinister secret reason she doesn't really realise why this has all happened and she has to find it out. And then a kind of slight layer comes off the world and you realise why. Um, and so it's a bit like, I suppose, some some Neil Gaiman works or Time Traveller's Wife or something where it's marketed as commercial fiction, but actually there are elements in there of, is it fantasy? Is it science fiction? I mean, the, the trade tends to use the word speculative to cover these books that kind of fit in the middle. But I think we're seeing a lot more of these books that roam wildly across genres because, frankly, it feels like we're living in near future science fiction. You know, I often look at the news and feel like I'm living in a William Gibson novel or, you know, some weird political cyber thriller. You know, realist novels to me don't feel particularly realistic anymore. Um, so I think that's another really interesting area where uh, kind of incorporating all kinds of genre and subverting the barriers between strict realism and kind of weird and magic actually feels really relevant nowadays because that kind of feels like the world we're living in. Do you think that's tied to our impression that nothing's real anymore because anything can be real with deep fakes and, you know, my facts don't matter, my emotion matter more and just that sort of position of I don't care what you say because this is what I feel to be true in my heart? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there's, um, yeah, what ground do we, do we have to stand on? And so those are definitely the kind of themes I, I, I want to play with. So your novel, The Charm Life of Alex Moore, has just come out in paperback? Yeah, exactly. Get the plug in. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so um, I want to thank uh, Molly Flat for joining us on uh, this edition of Future Thinking with Stylus. Thank you to Julia Ahrens, too, from Stylus. Um, I think the future of the novel uh, and the future of books generally is um, looking pretty amazing. Um, thank you for listening, and I hope you join us next time for Future Thinking with Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.